Well, for years, um, we celebrated our baptisms here at Lakeside Bible Church uh, away from the church because we really had no way to baptize folks here on our campus. And so we uh, typically would go to uh, the lake or swimming pools or hot tubs or wherever we could find a place to uh, baptize folks. And those became a, 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 a sweet tradition in the life of our church. And then we thought, well, hey, let's, um, this is such an important ordinance of the church, right? There's only two things that Christ commanded us to do as believers on a consistent basis. One was to celebrate the Lord's Supper, to do this in rem- remembrance of me, he said. Uh, but the second ordinance is that of baptism, that we are to go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I've commanded you. And so we thought uh, we want to make sure that our entire church uh, participates in our baptism services. It seemed like when we would do it uh, on Sunday evenings, not everyone could make it back out and we would end up videotaping it and then showing it the next Sunday. So we thought, well, why not buy a hot tub and uh, we can do it right here. And, uh, and so that's what we're doing. And so we thought on those Sundays where we have baptism that uh, we would take a break from whatever series that we're going through. And if you're new today to our church, you're visiting, we've been going through the book of Romans, verse by verse, kind of going week by week through that book. And so uh, hopefully you'll come back and be able to enjoy that series with us. But uh, this morning, I want to preach a message from a text that uh, has something to do with baptism. And we just thought that'd be appropriate way to uh, lead our hearts and, and prepare our hearts for what we're about to hear. And so I want to invite you to take your Bibles and turn with me to Acts chapter 8. Acts chapter 8. And I'm going to be reading verses 25 through 40. And uh, this is the account of Philip and the Ethiopian eunuch. And one of the most fascinating stories uh, in the book of Acts and really in the whole New Testament, one of my favorite stories. And so let me read it, and you can follow along in your Bibles as I read. Acts chapter 8, verse 25, So when they had solemnly testified and spoken the word of the Lord, they started back to Jerusalem and were preaching the gospel to many villages of the Samaritans. But an angel of the Lord spoke to Philip, saying, Get up and go south to the road that descends from Jerusalem to Gaza. This is a desert road. So he got up and went, and there was an Ethiopian eunuch, a court official of Candace, queen of the Ethiopians, who was in charge of all her treasure, and he had come to Jerusalem to worship, and he was returning and sitting in his chariot and was reading the prophet Isaiah. Then the spirit said to Philip, go up and join this chariot. Philip ran up and heard him reading Isaiah the prophet and said, do you understand what you're reading? And he said, well, how could I unless someone guides me? And he invited Philip to come up and sit with him. Now, the passage of scripture which he was reading was this. He was led as a sheep to slaughter, and as a lamb before its shearers is silent, so he does not open his mouth. In humiliation, his judgment was taken away. Who will relate his generation? For his life is removed from the earth. The eunuch answered Philip and said, Please tell me, of whom does the prophet say this, of himself or of someone else? Then Philip opened his mouth, and beginning from this scripture, he preached Jesus to him. 
As they went along the road, they came to some water, and the eunuch said, Look, water, what prevents me from being baptized? And Philip said, If you believe with all your heart, you may. And he answered and said, I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. And he ordered the chariot to stop, and they both went down into the water, Philip as well as the eunuch, and he baptized him. When they came up out of the water, the Spirit of the Lord snatched Philip away, and the eunuch no longer saw him, but went on his way rejoicing. But Philip found himself in Azotus, and as he passed through, the, through, he kept preaching the gospel to all the cities until he came to Caesarea. Father, we thank you for your word and how it's um, so appropriate for every occasion. And I pray as we consider this classic text about the Ethiopian eunuch and his interaction with Philip and his baptism, Lord, that you would use this message to encourage our hearts, to remind us of our responsibility, to take advantage of divine appointments that you ordain for each of us as believers, but Lord, also to stimulate faith in Jesus Christ, the Son of God, today, so that some could say that today was the day of their salvation. We pray this in Jesus' name, amen. Well, if you have been involved in one of our grow groups, which um, if you're not, may God have mercy on your sin, sick, shriveled up soul, no, um, we, we do encourage everyone in our church to be involved, plugged into one of our grow groups so that you get well cared for, well shepherded, uh, communicated with, but um, most of all, have an opportunity to study God's Word in a smaller context um, than this context on Sunday mornings. And so if you are in one of our grow groups, you have been working your way through this little Bible study guide called Reaching the Lost evangelism. How many of you guys raise your hand that you've been going through this? Go ahead, raise your hand up. All right. And uh, real simple, real short, maybe takes you 20 to 30 minutes to do during the week and then come together and talk about with your grow group. But uh, boy, just packs a powerful punch and is really, um, at least for our group, has just put the subject of evangelism on the front burner of our lives. And so we're thinking a lot more about it. We're doing a lot more about it. We're praying a more a lot about it. We're, we're talking about it as a group and sharing stories uh, that uh, we've had uh, to share the gospel with during the week. And so uh, this is just one of a number of things that we've been doing as a church um, in an effort to cultivate a culture of evangelism. And by a culture of evangelism, I mean that one where everyone understands their responsibility to share the gospel with unbelievers. And that evangelizing lost people is as normal as reading our Bibles and praying and going to church. It's just, it's just what we do as Christians. It's, those are the fundamentals of the Christian life, reading your Bible, praying, going to church, sharing the gospel with unbelievers. We know that it says in Luke chapter 19, verse 10, that Jesus came to what? You remember? Seek and to save the lost. And he commanded every one of his followers to tell others the good news about what he has done to save sinners and call them to repent of their sin and place their faith in him alone for salvation. Now, the, the initial disciples of Christ took the Great Commission, Matthew 
28, verses 19 and 20, go and make disciples of all nations, right? Baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I've commanded you. I mean, they took that to heart. And they witnessed everywhere they went. And the book of Acts records how God used the bold, faithful witness of Christ's followers to unleash the gospel message starting in Jerusalem and take it to the ends of the earth. If you remember the theme verse of Acts, uh, Acts uh, book of Acts is Acts chapter 1 verse 8. Jesus said, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you shall be my witnesses both in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria and even to the remotest part of the earth. And Interesting, as you read through the book of Acts, you notice something, that it wasn't just the apostles and prophets and evangelists who turned the world upside down for Christ. It was every Christian. Every Christian knew that they had a responsibility, and not just a responsibility, they had the great joy and privilege of telling others the good news of salvation in Christ. In fact, look at uh, the opening verses of chapter 8 here. We're in Acts chapter 8, but notice verses 1 through 4. Saul was in hearty agreement with putting him to death, and he was, this is a reference to the stoning of Stephen, uh, who was the first martyr of the church uh, in, in chapter 7, and it was Saul, soon to be the apostle Paul, was in hearty agreement with putting him to death, and on that day a great persecution began against the church in Jerusalem, and they were all scattered throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria, except the apostles. Some devout men buried Stephen and made loud lamentation over him, but Saul began ravaging the church, entering house after house and dragging off men and women. He would put them in prison. Therefore, those who had been scattered went about preaching the word. And then if you jump to chapter 11, um, Luke, uh, Dr. Luke, who was writing the book of Acts, um, gives us an update on these people that were scattered from Jerusalem in chapter 11, verse 19. So then those who were scattered because of the persecution that occurred in connection with Stephen made their way to Phoenicia and Cyprus and Antioch, speaking the word to no one except to Jews alone. But there were some of them, men of Cyprus and Cyrene, who came to Antioch and began speaking to the Greeks, also preaching the Lord Jesus. And the hand of the Lord was with them, and a large number who believed turned to the Lord. Now, one of these who fled Jerusalem as a result of this increasing persecution was a guy named Philip, who was, if you remember, one of the seven wise, reputable, spirit-filled men that were selected back in chapter 6, verse 3, to oversee the distribution of food to widows. And the church was growing so fast that there was uh, they were having some administrative challenges to make sure everyone was getting fed accordingly and properly, and so they needed to assign some guys to, to that task. And, um, and so he was one of the, the original deacons, if you will. And uh, anyway, he was one of these guys that was flushed out of Jerusalem. And, uh, and, and what we see here in chapter 8, starting in verse 5, when it says Philip went down to the city of Samaria and began proclaiming Christ to them, we see how God had prepared the people of Samaria for Philip's arrival. And when he proclaimed Christ to them, many believed, 
and became followers of Christ and were baptized. Notice verse 12, but when they believed Philip's uh, preaching the good news about the kingdom of God and the name of Jesus Christ, they were being baptized, men and women alike. And so the first thing I want to just note here is that Philip wasn't one of the apostles. He wasn't one of the prophets. He was simply a committed lay guy who God used to spearhead a dynamic evangelistic awakening in Samaria. And it it may be, and I say this because there are some Christians who say, well, you know, I'm not, you know, evangelism, that's for the pastors, that's for the preacher, that's for the people with the gift of evangelism. That's not for me. I don't have the gift of evangelism. No. Listen, it may be that God wants to use you to spearhead an evangelistic awakening in your home or in your neighborhood or in your cul-de-sac or in your subdivision or your office or at your school or maybe on your sports team. And that's exactly how God used Philip, just an ordinary Christian, um, to do some great things for God and to lead a ton of people to Christ. And so after this great spiritual harvest in the ripe fields of Samaria, God directed Philip to a much smaller, a much more remote, but no less significant mission field. Because there was a man who God had prepared for harvest. And he sent Philip to share the gospel with him. And we have this story, starting in verse 26... Of, of Philip and the Ethiopian eunuch, one of the most amazing divine appointments recorded in God's Word. Now, I'm assuming you're familiar with that expression, a divine appointment, right? What we mean is a, a meeting with another person or persons at a particular time and place that is providentially arranged by God to accomplish His purposes in that person or person's lives. And this particular divine appointment that God sovereignly ordained and orchestrated between Philip and the Ethiopian eunuch should stimulate us in our own personal witness for Christ. And except for the the element of divine revelation that we see in this story where an angel and the Holy Spirit actually spoke to Philip, okay, setting that aside, there is a lot in this evangelistic encounter that we can relate to and learn from as those who have been called to be witnesses for Christ. This really serves, this story serves as a a helpful model for personal evangelism because we get to tag along, as it were, with Philip and watch and listen to how he wisely and winsomely approached this total stranger somebody he had never met before and boldly and clearly shared the gospel with them. This would be what you would call a cold turkey evangelism moment, right? Where you just walk up and you just start talking to somebody about Jesus. Well, what I want us to see this morning are four pointers for personal evangelism, okay? Four pointers. And we're going to get some pointers here from Philip, um, from his example, that that I think can help us seize the divine appointments that God arranges on a regular basis so that we can share the gospel with those who don't know him. 
And I think putting into practice these, these four pointers will allow us to make the most of these divine appointments and, 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 uh, and minimize the number of them that we miss or waste. I don't know about you, but there, there are some appointments out there that God has given me along the way that I think I've missed or, or in some way uh, didn't make the most of. I wasted that opportunity. And so hopefully uh, this will keep us from, from doing that. So what are these four pointers? Uh, if you grabbed one of those uh, outlines as you came in the door today, you see the first pointer is be sensitive to the Holy Spirit's leading. Be sensitive to the Holy Spirit's leading. Verse 26, but an angel of the Lord spoke to Philip saying, get up and go south to the road that descends from Jerusalem to Gaza. This is a desert road. And so he got up and went, and there was an Ethiopian eunuch, a court official of Candace, queen of the Ethiopians, who was in charge of all her treasure, and he had come to Jerusalem to worship, and he was returning and sitting in his chariot and was reading the prophet Isaiah. Then the spirit said to Philip, go up and join this chariot. So the first pointer here is be sensitive to the Holy Spirit's leading. Now, Gaza, uh, you're familiar with the Gaza Strip, right? Uh, we hear about that often in the news. At the time, in those days, this was a desolate desert road uh, that, uh, that uh, God had uh, directed Philip to go down, leading to Gaza, which was the gateway to Africa. Um, and here on this road was this Ethiopian eunuch, um, Somewhere along the way, Philip came upon this caravan that was coming to or heading to Ethiopia. In those days, Ethiopia was a large kingdom located south of Egypt. And uh, here was this eunuch, uh, which referred to a male who had been castrated in order to perform some specific uh, official function. They were very common in many ancient societies. Jesus referred to them often, Matthew 19, 12. And so this eunuch had apparently become a convert to Judaism since he had made the 200-mile trek to Jerusalem to worship the God of Israel. But because he was a eunuch, he could never become a full Jewish proselyte. And that was part of the law, Deuteronomy chapter 23, verse 1, that a eunuch could not uh, become a uh, a true proselyte of, of the Jews. It says here he was a, a court official of Candace, uh, queen of Ethiopia, so he was an important official in charge, it says, of the money, so maybe he was the, the treasury secretary or something, but Candace was not a name, per se, it was a, more of a title for the queen of Ethiopia, like Pharaoh in Egypt or Caesar in Rome. But again, notice here it says in verse 26, an angel of the Lord spoke to Philip, And then verse 29, then the Spirit said to Philip, go up and join this chariot. So this is a clear case of direct revelation in which God spoke directly to Philip. Now, I hope you agree with me when I say this, that God no longer talks audibly to us today. We shouldn't be sitting around waiting to hear the audible voice of God. But does that mean God doesn't speak to us today? No, he speaks to us all the time. How? Through his word. I'll never forget one morning I woke up and turned on my computer and was looking at some of my news feeds and I saw a post uh, from John Piper uh, and the title of his blog that morning was God Spoke to Me Today. 
And I was like, oh, my heart sank. I go, oh, no, not John Piper. Now he's saying that God's like speaking to him. And, and so I began to read his blog. And he said, yeah, God spoke to me today. When I woke up and opened my Bible, God spoke to me. I was like, amen, brother. I'm, I'm okay. I'm still with you, Piper. Okay. Uh, I, I believe that. I agree with you. But the point is that God speaks to us through his word. Nowhere in scripture are we told that the Spirit continues to lead us through mental impressions or inner voices like He did sometimes in both the Old and New Testaments. Uh, we, we, hear, we see an example in 1 Kings chapter 19, verse 12, that, that the, the prophet heard a still small voice. Um, we shouldn't be waiting to hear the still small, small voice of God. Why? Because we have this thing right here. God has said everything He wants us to know through this book. Now, that doesn't mean that the Spirit doesn't prompt us. The Spirit doesn't direct us or guide us. But it does mean that the Holy Spirit prompts us and directs us and guides us through this right here. He uses the Scriptures that we have hidden in our hearts to prompt us to do what He wants us to do or what He doesn't want us to do. Uh, He brings to our minds promises or warnings or commands or principles that convict us, that comfort us, that cause us to be joyful, that overwhelm us with peace. Uh, they make us bold, they make us courageous. We know that uh, the Bible says that, that, that God's Word is the sword of the Spirit. So what is the, the Spirit using to, to accomplish His work? He's using the Bible. This is the sword of the Spirit. He inspired it. We know that. 2 Timothy 3.16, 2 Peter 1.21, and it is the primary means that God uses or the Spirit uses to accomplish His work in our lives. And so you say, okay, if we're not supposed to be listening for the still small voice of God, but we're still supposed to be led by the Spirit, what does that look like? Well, I think there's some key factors to being led by the Spirit. Um, Let me just give you five quick things that that need to be true of us if we're going to be led by the Spirit. Number one, we need to be filled with the Holy Spirit or controlled by the Holy Spirit. Ephesians 5.18, do not be drunk with wine, but be what? Filled with the Holy Spirit. Be controlled by the Holy Spirit. Number two, we need to depend on the Holy Spirit. We need to depend on the Holy Spirit. Galatians chapter 5, verse 16, I say, walk by the Spirit and you will not carry out the desire of the flesh. And so we need to live in dependence on the Holy Spirit. Thirdly, we should never quench or grieve the Holy Spirit. 1 Thessalonians 5.19 says, quench not the Spirit. Uh, in other words, if the Spirit uh, moves you to do something, right, don't say, no, I'm not going to do that. Don't, don't quench the Holy Spirit. Uh, don't grieve the Holy Spirit. Don't, don't do things that the Holy Spirit tells you not to do. In other words, there's things that the Spirit of God tells us to do or the Word of God tells us to do and we choose not to do that, that quenches the Spirit. And there's things that we're told not to do in the Scripture and when we do those things, it grieves the Holy Spirit. So don't quench or grieve the Holy Spirit. Third, uh, fourthly, yield to the Holy Spirit. Yield to the Holy Spirit. 1 Corinthians chapter 6, uh, verse 19, talks about how we are temples of the Holy Spirit. Uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 6, uh, verse 19. Do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you, from, you have from God, that you are not your own, for you have been bought with a the price? Therefore glorify God 
in your body. So you need to yield your life to the Spirit. Romans 12, 1, we're going to get there here shortly, uh, that based on the mercies of God, uh, that we should what? Uh, present ourselves as living sacrifices to God. And then finally, we need to seek to glorify the one who sent the Holy Spirit. We need to seek to glorify the one who sent the Holy Spirit. And I love what Jesus said here in John 16, 14, and he will glorify me. Speaking of this helper, sending the Holy Spirit, he will glorify me for he will take of mine and will disclose it to you. So So the whole goal or consuming passion, if you will, of the Holy Spirit is not to exalt himself, but to exalt and glorify Jesus Christ. That's why it makes me nervous when, I, when I'm around churches or believers that, 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 that it's all about the Holy Spirit and the Holy Spirit and the Holy Spirit's doing this and the Holy Spirit's doing that. And it's not about Jesus. Because it's not about the Holy Spirit. It's about Jesus. And the Holy Spirit exists to point us to Jesus. And to make Christ's glory known in this world. And so when our consuming passion is to exalt Christ and make His glory known throughout the earth, and we are being sensitive to the same thing that the Spirit is. Sensitive to. You could say that we're in step with the Spirit, that we're passionate about what He's passionate about. And so in that sense, every time we come in contact with someone who doesn't know Christ, guess what that is? That's a divine appointment. Now that's being sensitive to the Spirit's leading and so don't wait for, you know, the Spirit of God to hit you across the head with a baseball bat. Like, duh, if you're hanging out with unbelievers at any given point, at any time, that's a divine appointment. Unbeliever around a believer, believer around an unbeliever, that's a divine appointment. So don't say, well, you know, I was around a lot of unbelievers today, but I didn't, just, I didn't see any divine appointments. No, that whole day was a divine appointment, Okay. We want to make sure we get that. So we need to be, first of all, be sensitive to the Spirit's leading to exalt Christ, to make Christ's glory known to everyone who's yet to know Christ. Number two, number two, not only do we need to be sensitive to the Spirit's leading, we need to be proactive in initiating spiritual conversations. We need to be proactive in initiating spiritual conversations. Look at uh, back in Acts chapter uh, 8, verse 30, Philip ran up. And I heard him reading Isaiah the prophet and said, do you understand what you're reading? And he said, well, how could I unless someone guides me? And he invited Philip to come up and sit with him. So with this split second timing, the spirit of God directs Philip to overtake this chariot and he comes along uh, and uh, he initiated the conversation with a leading question. And it was a simple question. He, he, he heard him reading this, this passage from Isaiah, and he simply said, hey, um, do you understand what you're reading? It was, a, it, was, it was a friendly question. It wasn't pushy. It was gracious. It wasn't obnoxious. Um, he was creative. He was tactful. Um, Chuck Swindoll, one of my favorite uh, preachers and commentators, joked in his commentary that Philip didn't wait for the man to lean out of his chariot and holler, hey, excuse me, you wouldn't happen to be an Old Testament scholar by any chance, would you? He didn't wait. 
Um, and, and listen, why? Why don't you wait? Because it's rare for an unbeliever to initiate a spiritual conversation. So we need to learn how, how to initiate that. We need to learn how to take initiative. Uh, I was talking to somebody just recently and, and uh, got into a conversation and I told them that I was a pastor and they, they kind of paused like they didn't know what to say. Like, okay, this is awkward and okay. Uh, and so they kind of stumbled around and they said, so like, um, where do you preach? And they quickly said, you know, I've never asked anybody that before. And it just was a reminder to me that, hey, it's just awkward for unbelievers to, to even know how to talk about spiritual things, so we need to lead them in that. And so we should be able to inject the gospel or introduce the gospel into a conversation from 101 different directions. I, I find it personally kind of a fun challenge that when you get into a conversation with someone, you're sitting on the plane next to them, or you're talking to them after your workout, or you're standing in line at a store or something, um, how, do you, how do you get into conversations with people? Or you're talking about whatever, and, and just it's kind of fun to try to, 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 to find something that you can, that they say, that you can turn into a spiritual conversation. And we need to get good at that. that, that that's kind of an art form that we need to perfect. We need to be able to master. And I think one way that would help is to develop some creative questions that you can use anytime, anywhere with anyone to turn that conversation to spiritual things. Wherever you're sitting, wherever you are, uh, whether it's, you know, getting your nails done at the salon or, you know, on the school bus, going back and forth to school or, you know, at the, you know, driving range, tennis courts, whatever. Like, um, hey, the simplest question is, hey, do you, go to, do you go to church anywhere? Or where do you go to church? That's a, that's a question that's still not that offensive to most people. It's like, oh, yeah, especially here in the South where a lot of people either grew up in church or they, they attend church from time to time. So just, hey, where do you go to church? And, and by that answer that they give you, it's going to give you a lot of insight into where they're at. And uh, you, typically, you're off to the races. You kind of go know what direction to take in that conversation. So ask them, where, where do you go to church? Do you go to church anywhere? Um, or how about this one? This is, you've heard this before. Hey, can I ask you a question? Sure. If you were to die today, do you know for sure you'd go to heaven? If you were to die today, do you know for sure you'd go to heaven? That's a, that's a wake-up call for a lot of people. That just kind of takes the conversation from zero to 60 in like one second, right? Because you immediately go from earthly conversation to eternal conversation. So ask that question. And, uh, or maybe you could say, has anyone ever explained to you how you can have your sins forgiven? That's a very positive way to say it instead of saying, hey, did anybody ever told you you're on your way to hell? That's probably not the question to lead with, right? But has anybody ever told you how you can have your sins forgiven? Or, you know, uh, one of the m most uh, disarming questions is, hey, is there any way I can be praying for you? Is there anything I can pray about for you? And it's interesting, you, and a good time to ask that is when the waiter or waitress brings your food, right? And they typically drop it on the table and they say, is there anything else I can do for you? Is there anything else you need? That's a perfect time to say, hey, you know what? We're about to pray and thank the Lord for this food. And is there anything we can pray for you about? 
And, and you, you'll be surprised at the reactions that you get when you do that. Some people will be like, uh, they get really awkward and like, uh, not really, but uh, enjoy your meal and they're gone, right? Or they might go, uh, yeah, my dog's sick and, you know, could you pray that he, you know, whatever, you know, something very inconsequential. Or some people, they just, they break up, they, they start to cry because they're, they're carrying this burden and you wouldn't know they were just serving you and they looked like they were having a fine day. But man, they were dealing with some burden in their life. And you just gave them an opportunity to express some emotion about it. And it can be very powerful. And I've been in situations where uh, I was with a guy who asked that question to a waitress when she brought her food. And she just broke down and cried. And he just grabbed her hand and started praying for her right then and there. It was beautiful. It was powerful. So again, just what are we talking about? We're talking about initiating here, learning how to be proactive and initiating spiritual conversations. So learn to prayerfully play off what others say. Uh, start where they're at, wherever they're at, and then lead them to Christ. Now again, this may not all happen in one sitting. Now if you're on an airplane and you're going from here to here and you're never going to see this person again, yeah, you're going to want to do everything you can to get through the gospel message. But it may, if it's your neighbor, hey, you know, just begin to inject truth, biblical truth, into your conversations. And over time, right, it may be over a matter of days or weeks or months or maybe even years, right, uh, pouring truth into your loved ones' lives, your neighbors' lives, your coworkers' lives, um, that, that you'll get the gospel in there somewhere uh, over the years. And, um, but be proactive in that. And then number three, number three be effective in explaining the scriptures. Be effective in explaining the scriptures. Notice verse 32. Now the passage of scripture which he was reading was this. He was led as a sheep to slaughter and as a lamb before its shearers is silent so he does not open his mouth. In humiliation his judgment was taken away. Who will relate his generation? For his life is removed from the earth. The eunuch answered Philip and said, Please tell me, of whom does the prophet say this, of himself or of someone else? Then Philip opened his mouth, and beginning from this scripture, he preached Jesus to him. And they went along the road, and they came to some water, and the eunuch said, Look, water, what prevents me from being baptized? And Philip said, If you believe with all your heart, you may. And he answered and said, I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. And he ordered the chariot to stop, and they both went down into the water, Philip as well as the eunuch, and he baptized him. So the principle here is be effective in explaining the scriptures. And the fact that this guy wanted to get baptized so quickly after he had gotten saved and came to a true understanding of Jesus Christ shows that Philip had done a good job of explaining the scriptures to this guy. Um, you say, well, First of all, this is kind of weird. Why did, how did Philip hear him reading the scriptures? Well, it was customary in those days to read aloud. And so it, it, he, this guy was sitting in his chariot. I guess they were, you know, had taken a break. They were at the rest stop here. And uh, he was just sitting there in his chariot. He was reading this scroll of, from the book of Isaiah. And it just so happened, right, just so happened that he was reading the book of Isaiah which we know there's no such thing as a coincidence, right? God had prompted this man to read Isaiah in preparation for this divine appointment with Philip. 
And, and to me, this is the coolest part of this whole story. Is that if we follow the Spirit's leading, we can be sure that God has already gone before us and has been causing people to read certain things or to have certain conversations or to face issues in their marriages or with their kids or at work or at school or with their health. All of these things are preparing them for when their path crosses ours so that we can share the gospel with them. In other words, there are prepared people all around us. The question is, are we prepared? Are we prepared to effectively explain the gospel to them? Now, there there is no better passage in the entire Old Testament from which to explain the gospel than the one that this guy was reading. I mean, this would be comparable um, maybe for us, if, we, if there was someone sitting next to us in class, for you students, or sitting next to us on an airplane, you businessman, right? And, and you peeked over what they were reading, because we're always looking at what people are reading next to us, right? Or what they're watching on their tablets or whatever. We're kind of checking everything out. And, and we just notice that they're reading the Gospel of John. And we're like, wow, this is kind of interesting. And, and they're reading the Gospel of John, and they're going through chapter 1 and chapter 2, and we're kind of watching them turn the pages, and they get to John three sixteen, and they read out loud, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. And they immediately turn to you and say, hey, who's John talking about here? And can you imagine that? Talking about like lobbing a beach ball. Can you, can you hit that one, right? I mean, this was, this was a beach ball for Philip. Let me read for you specifically what this guy was reading. This is Isaiah chapter 53, and you can turn back there if you'd like to see it yourself. Isaiah chapter 53. This is the context of what this guy was reading. Isaiah 53, verse 4, Surely our griefs he himself bore, our sorrows he carried, yet we ourselves esteemed and stricken, smitten of God and afflicted, but he was pierced through for our transgressions, he was crushed for our iniquities, the chastening for our well-being fell upon him, and by his scourging we are healed. All of us, like sheep, have gone astray, each of us has turned to his own way, but the Lord has caused the iniquity of us all to fall on him." And here it is. This is what he read. He was oppressed and he was afflicted, yet he did not open his mouth like a lamb that is led to slaughter and like a sheep that is silent before its shearers, so he did not open his mouth. By oppression and judgment he was taken away. And as for his generation who considered that he was cut off out of the land of the living for the transgression of my people to whom the stroke was due. This is the best description in the Old Testament of how Christ suffered on the cross as the substitutionary sacrifice for sinners like us. In other words, Christ died for us. He died in our place. He took the punishment for our sin like a lamb that was slaughtered 
just like the Old Testament sacrificial system, instead of you dying you would, for your sin, right? You would bring a lamb and the lamb would be killed and slaughtered and, 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 and sacrificed and that would cover your sin. That lamb died in your place, took the punishment for your sin. The gospel writers, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, they all, and even Jesus himself, by the way, use this passage to describe the life and death of Jesus Christ. And so the eunuch says here in verse 34, who who is the prophet talking about here? Is he talking about himself? Or is he talking about someone else? Is Is this Isaiah? Or is this someone else? Which was a fair question, by the way, because even to this day, uh, most Orthodox Jews interpret Isaiah 53 as a reference to the nation of Israel, not to Jesus Christ, the, the Messiah, the one true Messiah. And so what does Philip do? I love this. Verse 35, Philip opened his mouth and beginning from this scripture, he preached Jesus to him. In other words, No, it's not the prophet Isaiah. It is someone else, and that someone else is Jesus. You know the guy you've been hearing about that was just murdered, crucified in Jerusalem? He was just coming back from all this, right? And he's saying, hey, you've heard the story about Jesus. Everybody thought maybe this is the guy we've been waiting for, and, and the Jews crucified him. But then there was this word that he rose from the dead. Well, this is, this is who it's talking about. And so Philip took advantage of this opportunity to, to show him how this passage perfectly fulfilled the life and death of Jesus Christ. It's very much like Jesus did, if you remember, on the Emmaus Road uh, when the two disciples were, were walking back from Jerusalem to their home and they were all discouraged and and uh, confused. They were, dis- they were sad that Christ had been killed, but then they were confused by some rumor that was going around that he had rose from the dead, he'd come back to life, they weren't sure what to believe, and in Luke chapter 24, verse 27, it says that Jesus, he came, came along with them, right, he just kind of showed up, appeared, and began to walk with them, and, and they were saying, haven't you heard what's going on? And he said, beginning with Moses and with all their prophets, he explained to them the things concerning himself and all the scriptures. And then it says in verse 32, after he left, and it dawned on them who he was. He says, were not our hearts burning within us while he was speaking to us on the road, while he was explaining the scriptures to us? The point is, all of us should be able to explain from the scriptures who Christ is and what he's done. So the question is, if you had an opportunity to talk with an unbeliever, and all you had was your Bible, would you know where to turn to in God's Word? To, to verses and passages that explain the gospel. See, it's impossible to take advantage of these divine appointments if you don't know the Bible well enough to explain the gospel. Maybe you know the Bible, but you have to have it in front of you to share the gospel effectively. And that's why it's good that we put some of these verses to, memora- to memory, right? Because there's lots of divine appointments that happen when you won't have your Bible handy. Now, we all have our cell phones, and that's the blessing, right? Because you have the Bible handy there. 
But sometimes, you know, when they got you covered up over that, with that tarp and you're kind of sitting there getting your hair cut and the divine appointment happens, it's there and you're having an opportunity to talk. I mean, you can just quote scripture, right? If you have some of these verses like the Romans road that we've been encouraging to memorize um, there as, our, as we study through the gospel of, or as we study through Romans, these are verses that you can quote, right? But the focus, notice the focus of the gospel message is Who? Jesus. He preached Jesus to him. Always keep the conversation focused on the person and work of Christ. And if you haven't figured this out yet, the more you take advantage of these divine appointments, you realize people will try to get you off of Jesus as quickly as possible. Because that's awkward. Jesus is convicting. Right? Even if they don't know who he is, it's just something convicting about talking about Jesus. And so they'll get you on to some pointless rabbit trails asking you questions about evolution and, and, and you know, did Adam have a belly button and, you know, you know all sorts of great problem of evil. Um, or, or they'll want to talk about the latest church scandal and all the hypocrites in the church, right? Well, keep bringing them back to Jesus. What are you going to do with Jesus? What are you going to do with Jesus? It's all about Jesus. And Again, I would advise you, don't try to reason with them or feel like you need to provide them all sorts of evidence. Listen, God's word is the only thing that's going to convince them of their sin and of their need to repent and believe in Jesus Christ. We were studying this this last week. If you're in lesson five, this is the, we're in lesson five this last week, and there was a great question in there about why is it so important that we use the scriptures when we evangelize? Well, because that's where the power is. It's not in our words, right? It's in God's word. God's word is the only thing that he promised would not return what? Void, right? Isaiah 55, 10. Romans 10, 17. Faith comes by hearing and hearing your really cool testimony. No, faith comes by hearing the word of what? Christ, Christ's words, God's word. 2 Timothy 3.15, Paul said to Timothy, hey, you remember, Timothy, that it was your knowledge of the sacred writings, the Old Testament, that gave you the wisdom to get saved. Um, 1 Peter 1.23 says, we are born again by the living word of God. And so use the Bible. Stick to the scriptures. And the fact that this, again, I mentioned this previously, the fact that this eunuch wanted to get baptized here, they're, they're going along, and I, the, 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 the sense I get is they were just, as they continued to travel along, apparently the rest stop was over, and they began off again. This caravan was going down the road, heading to, towards Ethiopia. And uh, so, so Philip stayed along with him, and they was just kind of discipling him along the way and teaching him everything that he needed to know about being a Christian. And so Matthew 28, 19, right? Go and make disciples of all nations, baptize them in the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to observe what? All that I commanded you. And so he obviously, Philip obviously explained at some point in this little discipleship journey that the first step of obedience for a new believer is to get baptized as a way to publicly identify themselves with Christ in his death burial, and resurrection. And we're about to see six illustrations of salvation. None of these six folks are getting saved today. They are already saved. This is simply an outward demonstration of an inward decision they made at some point in the past. 
But what's happening here is this is an illustration that when the Bible says that when we come to Christ, it's as if we're baptized, we're baptized by the Holy Spirit, and it's, we're, we're baptized into his death, burial, and resurrection. So that when we come to Christ, we, we die with Christ, we're buried with Christ, and we, when we're raised to walk in newness of life. This is just an illustration uh, of salvation. And um, by the way, verse 37, some of your Bibles may have it in brackets, and the reason why it's in brackets there is because this verse was, is not found in the oldest and best, most reliable manuscripts. And so what Bible scholars assume that it was probably added later to clarify that this guy actually had repented and believed in Christ uh, before he was baptized. And that's the pattern of the, of, the, of the New Testament. You heard the gospel, you believed the gospel, you got baptized. You didn't just get baptized and then sometime later in life get saved. You had to understand the gospel and believe the gospel, and then you were baptized again as a, pub, as a way to publicly profess your faith in Christ and to let everybody know, you know what, I'm a Christian and I'm, you know, I'm one of you guys. Uh, I'm part of the, the body of Christ. What a testimony that must have been, huh? To everyone else that was traveling with him in that caravan. Time out. Hold up, everybody. We're having a baptism. And uh, they went down and did this baptism. And, and it was a, I'm sure it was a powerful witness to other people that were in that, in that group. And we're praying. We're praying. We've been praying. We are praying that these baptisms today will have a powerful impact in all of our lives. Whether you know Christ or you don't know Christ, that this would have a powerful impact influence in your life as you listen and hear and watch, observe these testimonies. And then lastly, and just quickly, number four, be repetitive in sharing the gospel. Be repetitive in sharing the gospel. Look at how this story ends. When they came up out of the water, the Spirit of the Lord snatched Philip away, and the eunuch no longer saw him, but went on his way rejoicing. But Philip found himself at Azotus, and as he passed through, he kept preaching the gospel to all the cities until he came to Caesarea. So after Philip baptized this guy, the Holy Spirit whisked him away in some kind of miraculous beam me up Scotty, you know, thing. He was out of there. Why? Well, because he had some other divine appointment scheduled for him somewhere else. And, and by the way, not every divine appointment ends like the story of the eunuch, right? The guy gets saved and, and you know, you're baptizing him. That's not always how it ends. It's okay. But you have been successful if you've been faithful. Amen? You've been faithful to reach out with the love of Christ and the word of Christ. Uh, you can walk away and say, hey, that was cool. Even if the person didn't get saved, right, at that moment. But the eunuch went on his way, rejoicing in his salvation. We don't know for sure what happened to him. I'd like to think he became the first missionary to Ethiopia. Or the first missionary to Africa. And God used him to introduce the gospel to the dark continent, to the remotest part of the earth. This is the book of Acts, right? We're seeing the gospel just exploding and spreading everywhere. And so now it's going to Africa. And Philip finds himself, shows up, right? Rematerializes, if you will, in Azotus, which was north of Gaza, 
west of Jerusalem near the Mediterranean coast, where he worked his way north to Caesarea, where he took up residence. And I think it's interesting, some 20 years later, after this incident, Paul stayed in Philip's home during the tail end of his third missionary journey, and and Philip was still serving as an evangelist. Acts chapter 21, verse 8 says, On the next day we left and came to Caesarea, and entering the house of Philip the evangelist, who was one of the seven, we stayed with him. So Philip repeatedly preached the gospel countless times during the course of his lifetime. And that's the way it should be for us. That that witnessing shouldn't just be an occasional impulse, something that we do every once in a while. It should be a normal, regular part of our lives. And depending on how often we're interacting with unbelievers, it, it could be a daily thing. It could be a weekly thing. But the point is we should be sharing the gospel constantly. We should always be looking for opportunities and be ready to share the gospel at a moment's notice. 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 15. Sanctify Christ as Lord in your hearts, always being ready to make a defense to everyone who asks of you, to give an account of the hope that is in you, yet with gentleness and reverence. There are men and women, there are young people, children that we come into contact with on a regular basis who are lost on some desert road just like this Ethiopian eunuch with tons of questions trying to figure it out searching for truth needing us to show them the way to Christ could be your next door neighbor could be your child's teacher that, that shy girl that kind of sits in the back of the class and doesn't talk with anybody, your boss, your mom or dad, your son or daughter, your brother or your sister, your husband, your wife, the waiter, the waitress. Only God can save them, but we are the means that God has chosen to bring them to salvation. And God gives us this unspeakable privilege of leading people to him by sharing the gospel with them. So just a quick couple of reminders as we wrap this up, just some practical implications or applications. Um, Kel and I were away two weeks ago at that conference in Tennessee, and so our grow group met by themselves. We weren't there, and we came back last week, and they were talking about their hit list, and they'd all... We weren't even there. They come up with a hit list. They'd, and we're like, what are you guys talking about? Well, they, we all made a list of, of, of the people that we have a burden for, the lost people that we want to share the gospel with. And they were, they were catching up on each other's hit list. Hey, how did it go with her? And how did it go with him? And I was like, how cool is that? So if you don't have a hit list, get one, okay? A gospel hit list. In other words, somebody that you have a burden for in your sphere of influence that you want to share the gospel with. So come up with a hit list, number one. Number two, and I've said this tons of times, but pray. Pray every day, every morning. Lord, give me a greater burden for the lost, and Lord, give me an opportunity today to share the gospel with someone. I'm telling you, that's a prayer God will answer. If you're faithful to pray that every morning, Lord, give me a greater burden for the lost, and give me an opportunity today to share the gospel with someone. It's going to happen. Because your antenna's going to be up, your radar's going to be up, and you're going to be very mindful of 
all the opportunities that the Lord will provide you. And then lastly, just memorize a basic gospel presentation. Put it to memory. God, man, Jesus, you. That's the simplest one. It's in our, on our website. It's in a lot of our literature. Um, if, you're, if you haven't put that to memory yet, put it to memory. Then you're, then you're ready. Whether you have your Bible or not and you don't know what to, man, you just go through that four-point outline and, and, and you're ready to share the gospel. And I think if we do these things, we will be less likely to miss these divine appointments. Why? Because we're looking for them and we won't waste them because we're ready for them. Amen? All right, let's pray. Father, thank you for this opportunity to be reminded of the importance of telling others about Christ. And we're so excited to hear these testimonies now uh, of these folks that um, have been saved by your grace. And I pray that you would use these testimonies to encourage our hearts and to challenge our hearts. And I pray for each one of them as they share that you would give them uh, peace, Lord, and, and confidence and boldness in you. And may all the glory go to you, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.